It's the Mermaid Podcast. We've got mermaids on the land and down below. Legs or fins, you will love our show. All the news that makes a splash is on the Mermaid Podcast. Hello, you're listening to the Mermaid Podcast, and I'm your host, Laura Von Holt, the fairy boss mother. Hello, my friends. I'm back and I'm excited to talk to you. So this episode is a lot about The Little Mermaid. And that is because by the time you hear this, there will have been a broadcast on ABC of The Little Mermaid live musical event. And after that broadcast, I'm planning on doing a live stream recap hot take thing on Instagram and Facebook on the Mermaid Podcast pages. We are at Mermaid Podcast on both of those platforms. So if you want to talk about it, at least comments, join me there. I'm very excited for that broadcast to happen. Second reason I'm excited about The Little Mermaid is that Princess of the Sea, which is my version of The Little Mermaid's Royal Wedding, has just been published. So if you like mermaids, royal weddings, and romance novels, please check out Princess of the Sea, written under my new pen name, which is Laura Lovely. There are going to be links to all of that in the show notes, and I hope you check it out. The other thing I need to remind you about is that we have mermaid merchandise. So the link to the Mermaid Podcast merch store will be in the show notes at mermaidpodcast.com. There's a special link. If you click on that, it should get you 15% off of your purchase. If you have any problems, you can just email me podcast at cinderly.com or message me on Instagram or Facebook and I'll help you out. But yes, mermaid merch. We have seen it in the wild. I love it. Alright, so one of my favorite parts of having this podcast is getting to talk to different mermaid lovers and finding out what mermaids mean to different people and in different times throughout history. And one of the most amazing things about that is that you can pretty much start with mermaids as a topic and then you will end up anywhere. Anywhere. It could go anywhere. It's amazing. I love it. You can touch on like everything through it. It's like six degrees of mermaids. That's a game we should play. Um, so today's episode features Sasha Coward, who is a mermaid folklorist. Mm-hmm. Yes, great job. Sasha is a freelance museum professional who has worked in the local, national, and international museums and galleries in the UK and also designs escape rooms. Ugh, so cool. So since Sasha knows so much about mermaid folklore, I asked him to tell me everything that he knows about The Little Mermaid, Hans Christian Andersen, queer history, mermaids around the world, and what mermaids mean today. And because mermaids can lead to anything, we also managed to touch on both RuPaul's Drag Race and the Twilight movies. Yes, it's amazing. You're welcome. I do need to warn you, there is a teensy bit of strong language, so apologies in advance. And now, please enjoy this episode. Hello, uh, my name is Sasha Coward and I describe myself a bit as a mermaid hunter. I'll kind of explain what that means. It's nothing mean against mermaids. <laughs> it's just because I'm really interested in mermaids. I think they're super cool. Uh, I've worked in a few museums and I'm a mermaid folklorist and I've got a million and one opinions on them. 
I'm so excited. I can't wait to hear all of your opinions. Thank you for coming on the show. Um, I found you on Twitter when there was the Little Mermaid casting news, and you had some amazing thread about the history of mermaids, I think, in natural sciences and also the history of the Little Mermaid. And that's why I want to talk to you. And then I found these amazing photos of you with a blue beard in a museum, and I was like, yes, we must know everything that he knows. <laughs> I'm sorry for everything. God, Twitter is a terrible vice. Um, a window into my life, which obviously I choose to share yeah hopefully by the end of this conversation that will make sense oh yeah uh, I why think the it happens well so let's get started on just just how you got into mermaids and how you work with them as far as like your museum your museum work so we have a little context yeah so i've been working in museums for about 10 years when i started out i was working in the gift shop i volunteered i like worked my way slowly up until actually i get to do the cool stuff that i want to do um as a bit of background so I, i'm a gay man and this comes into relevance shortly um and growing up i always had a real love for the disney film the little mermaid something about that was really cool i knew all the songs i watched the vhs uh, until it was worn out and you could tell like the bits of ursula for some reason i really liked that so i'd rewind over and over and so those bits are all like because it's just like (laughs) so worn down um and then when i managed to work at a museum in london called the national maritime museum so maritime meaning the sea uh so i worked in the museum of the sea and i was surrounded by mermaids and suddenly i started understanding that mermaids are cool they're fun But I started to get one, why maybe as a young queer kid, I was really connected to them. And two, how the stories that I'd heard about mermaids was just like the tip of the iceberg. That actually it is a wonderfully gruesome, twisted, sad, scary, just very much more complex account than the Disney film. But in itself made me love disney film even more because i realized that it was coming not just from like you know pretty aerial and all the kind of halloween costumes it's more than that it tells an incredibly deep story about humans about people about gender and so i just became really addicted um everyone can't see my face if they're only listening to the podcast but i was like "Uh uh-huh exactly (laughs) great (laughs) okay yes um okay so that's an awesome introduction so let's let's talk a little bit about let's get into the little mermaid um and then we can get into like deep uh, deeper stuff with mermaids um so so what what can you tell us about the little mermaid that people may not know because i think what i what i've talked to i've talked to so many mermaid lovers and everyone has the little mermaid as a touch point and then they have maybe gone on to some other like next level with it um but i want to talk about the little mermaid and what like what do you think that story really means and i would love to hear about the history of the story of the hans christian anderson yeah. version versus the the disney version which is i think the prime one in our modern consciousness but hasn't always been the pro- the main mermaid story yeah it's it's the go-to so if you search mermaid on google image go and do it now like whoever's watching this give it a go just to test me you will get a red-haired mermaid Mm -hmm. even if it is not aerial if it's someone dressing up if it's a knockoff toy that's the image that we have of mermaids 
So I'm going to start with the Hans Christiansen because it connects so well to the Disney and the two sort of hybridized together. So the original story of The Little Mermaid, now not a lot of us have fully read this. I realized that I hadn't read the story from start to finish until working at a museum. But Hans Christiansen wrote The Little Mermaid uh, and it's actually an incredibly tragic story. So if you've seen the Disney film, spoilers throughout, spoilers. <laughs> Spoil- yeah, spoiler alert in general, everyone. <laughs> Um, you will know that she gets the prince at the end it's a happy ever after it's classic disney of that era all right uh whereas in the original story she does not get the prince she is turned into sea foam and she sacrifices herself for the prince uh there's also loads of really gory details fantasy and you know children's stories back in the day were really like really terrifying um so for example the sea witch doesn't take her voice through a lovely song and a bit of magic she cuts her tongue out with a pair of scissors and when she gets her legs they're cursed so every step she takes is like walking on broken glass there's loads of really horrible stuff and then there's loads of really tragic stuff so he describes the fact that mermaids don't have souls unlike humans mermaids don't have souls i know so when they die they don't go to heaven they just into the water it's like um, when that slime explodes it's just like that (laughs) That's it. You're done. That's a whole <laughs> yeah. <It's> like, <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, please continue. Right. No, it's not like that. It's gruesome. And <laughs> gruesome and horrific. Okay. So yeah. please continue. Um, <laughs> they don't yeah, have souls. So on, on the equally like tragic <laughs> note, they can't cry. Um, so mermaids don't shed tears, partly because they're made of salt water, so that they can't cry. And there's a quote in the book which says, because they can't cry, and I'm really paraphrasing here, uh, they feel the pain all the more. So they can't even express. When they're in pain, there's no tears. There's yeah. no visible sign. Yeah. So this, this is a tragic creature, like a really tragic half-formed creature. Mm-hmm. If you think of what a mermaid is, half fish, half human, we'll come back to this in a bit. Mm-hmm. So it's written by Hans Christian Hansen. Now, the thing I didn't know about the story, I knew it was a bit twisted, but I didn't know that it was written by a queer person. So Hans Christiansen was biromantic. He loved men and women. He wrote love letters to men and women. We actually have records of this. We can prove it. So historians, don't at me. Um, <laughs> like, so there's real evidence for this love. And just before writing Little Mermaid, um, uh, Hans was dumped, basically, by a man called Edvard Cullen. And Edvard and him had been writing letters backwards and forwards, Hans being a bit more like lovey-dovey than you ever get from Edvard. But finally, he gets a letter from Edvard saying, sorry, mate, um, I can't reciprocate this emotion that you have for me, and I'm getting married to a woman. And so Hans's response, you can imagine, is completely devastated. He's had his heart cut out, basically. And he goes and writes The Little Mermaid. So think about the mindset mm-hmm. of when he was writing this children's story, mm-hmm. what was going through his mind, the heartbreak. He created a character that has no, well, loses her voice, mm-hmm. that can't be part of a world of normal people mm-hmm. that wants to be, and goes for incredible pain and then sacrifices herself at the end. So really, really heartbreaking account. So you then have the, the Disney films. The Disney-fied version is very different. Um, it has different characters, but the general plot is there, and it has this happy, happy ending where Ariel gets her legs, and she is, you know, King... Um, is it, Triton. He has King the whole Triton. rainbow yeah. coming out of his trident. Rainbow, yeah. Yeah. Which is so like, queer. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> 
but in in that version she does get her you know she gets her prince at the end and for a moment i was like that's rubbish actually like let's do the nasty dark one why, why do we why do we have to make everything lovely and fantastical but then again i heard a story about the disney film so the disney film was partially written by howard ashman who was a gay man and during working on the little mermaid he was diagnosed with hiv he later died of AIDS-related illnesses. And remember, this is in the 80s, so yeah. HIV was a death sentence, a very different illness to what it is for, well, wealthy white people today. Mm-hmm. Um, and then in the next film he worked on, um, Beauty and the Beast, he actually died. So he, this was the last film that he fully worked on. And he created an originally voice, before they cast the actresses and the actors, songs like Part of Your World. And if you think of a man who's just discovered that he's got mm-hmm. HIV, his friends are dropping dead everywhere. He's lost so many of his friends and loved ones. And now he knows he's going to die too. And he's watching his body decay. And he's singing a song, I want to be where the people are. Oh God. I want to see them, to see them dancing. <laughs> Fucking sorry. Yeah, yeah, no, that's okay. There's no, there's no FCC rules or whatever. You can, you can totally swear. Sorry, it's fine. To it's it. fine. <laughs> if you have yeah. children, sorry. <laughs> like, but they need to know. <laughs> Yeah, a swear word. No, you, oh yeah, swear in British. That's super good. Bloody yeah, hell. <laughs> bloody hell. Um, no, but I mean, what, a swear word is not as gruesome as like the you know mermaid who can't cry. <laughs> so I feel yeah. like you can go uh, ahead and swear. So he put this into this character as well. He also is the reason that Ursula looks the way that she does. Ursula was originally drawn as this skinny crone-like figure, uh-huh. but he based her on the drag queen Divine yes. from the 70s. Oh, yes. And that's why she's oh. this bodacious, kind yeah. of bigger-bodied full woman. So Ursula's a drag queen, yeah. by the way. Oh, I mean, <laughs> that makes sense. <laughs> yeah. It's like, you know, body language, yeah. it's all that. It's all right. that. Um, and so in the end, my feeling was, do you know what? If the mermaid represents Hans and it represents Howard and it represents gay men who have been through so much crap, mm-hmm. let's give them the prince at the end. I'm all right with the happy yeah. rainbow wedding. Like, great, okay. Let's not do doom and gloom. So I've actually completely switched my understanding because of how tragic I think the story is. The fact that Howard has clearly put himself into those songs yeah. and let's give him a happy ending. Let's just do that. And, yeah. and that was the start for me. That was the start of the fasc- fascination with mermaids and symbolism and queerness. But Oh my God, like this is like the lip of the rabbit hole. It yes, goes, it, it goes, goes all deeper. The I'm so excited. Um, I really love what you said about thinking of Howard Ashman writing part of your world because there's so much, there's so much longing in that song, but there's also so much joy and reverence for like the, the beautiful things of life, like a fire and walking down a street, you know, and like dancing. It has like, what, like what, people love that song because it talks about like the, the like joyous parts of, of life. So, but also the longing for it. Oh, that's so sad. Also, I just realized when you said that Hans Christian Andersen um, was in love with Edward Cullen, that yep. in Twilight, the vampire is Edward Cullen. And I'm like, no way. <laughs> Okay. And when you Google it, because <laughs> yeah. I've done this, because there's an image of him. Yeah. Uh, Edvard was a little bit hunky, oh. uh, I have to say. Yeah, <laughs> exciting. Like, no, Hans is great, but not yeah. my type. But yeah. Edvard, I can see. Oh. <laughs> yeah, um, that's but, why. <laughs> but Edvard, the number of times I ended up accidentally on, like, you know, no judgment yeah. uh, on Twilight, like fan fiction, being like, no, this is not, <laughs> this is not what I <laughs> This is not the image. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, no, but it all makes sense. <laughs> like, yeah. well, Patterson was alive in the yeah, 1800s. Yes. Very, 
Yes, he was. And that's why we have the Little Mermaid. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> like, um, yeah. True. Like, actually, yeah, the deep dive we're taking today is actually not about the Little Mermaid. We're just going to go on a Twilight Bender right now. <laughs> okay. Like, oh, no, we're not. God. Not. <laughs> okay, so. You've you've discovered like that there's much more to the Little Mermaid, and then and at this point in your career, are you giving tours and things, or is this pre all of that? This, this wasn't enough. This was when the kind of like the fire started, okay. and and then it sort of I, that was when I was started writing a few tweets that were just like, hey, did did you know this yeah. and did you know that? And then there were a couple of other things that I came across. So there was a painting which was on display in uh, the Queen's House, which is next door to the Maritime Museum, um, which is of a group of mermaids, yeah. and they're meant to be the sisters of Ariel. So this was um, done by I know by an artist called Evelyn de Morgan, and I will send you all these images okay. if you want to link them. Yes. People listening can actually look. I will pick. link them. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And if you're in London, you can go and see this painting. I was just you know, there, and, and I missed it. I was looking at the Prime Meridian. I didn't know there were mermaids. Oh my god! Oh, so fine. Yeah, yeah. Everybody, don't go selfie at the Prime Meridian. Just go look at the mermaids. Uh, well, I had like ten minutes till closing, so I was like, let's yeah. get the selfie in. <laughs> Best time. Yeah. Um, but anyways, this painting. There's all these like mermaids, and they're all like languishing over each other, very kind of Kylie Minogue Vogue yes. style. Great. Um, and the artist Evelyn de Morgan based the face on every single mermaid. Every single sister has the same face. Uh-huh. And it's all based on a woman that she had a relationship with. Uh, and so this model called Jane and herself and her husband and Jane are buried in a line next to each other. So all three in a line. So they were also featuring in a Tate Modern exhibition called Queer British Artists. So I was like, mermaids again and queerness. So we now have like, drag queen mermaids and bisexual men mermaids and lesbian mermaids and then you just find that the full lgbtq spectrum there's a mermaid for it there is always a moment for it so there's that it, it it totally makes sense yeah. to me now why as a drunk when i was like 25 and you go out and you do karaoke i'd always end up screaming <laughs> part of your work yeah, with totally. tears running down my face yes. mostly body probably um <laughs> Like, it wasn't just that it's camp. There's yeah. something about this that resonates. And it's not just queer people. It's people who feel different, mm-hmm. um, who who feel like on some level society has kind of looked at them and gone, mm, no, no, you're not right. Yeah. Um, and there's something about mermaids being, you know, weird yeah. and a part of a different world, mm-hmm. but beautiful and powerful mm-hmm. um, and magical that is incredibly appealing. I think you'll find in a lot of Facebook groups there for people who do mermaiding, like wearing the tails and swimming like as a hobby, a lot of it is like no one understands like why I love them, no one understands me, but like I feel so great when I wear this. It's all like this common thread of like having found some sort of like self acceptance through mermaids. Is a body positivity. There's yeah. a movement in the UK, in, in Brighton in the UK, where uh, whole groups of people meet up and dress up as mermaids. And it is it is about celebrating your body, yeah. w- whatever it is, yeah. whatever colour, whatever shape or size. Um, so, yeah, there's, there's a huge broad spectrum. You can talk about any community of mermaids. And we'll probably start talking about mermaids of colour in mm-hmm. a little bit. That's a really interesting thing to discuss. But for, for the start for me was, wow, mermaids are really frigging queer. Yeah. Like they are, they are so embodied of the LGBTQ community. Yeah. And then it was just like, as I started looking into it, I started finding more and more. And, and the, probably the kickoff for me was giving a talk at the British Museum 
which I called uh, Mermaids, A Twist in the Tail. Um, and like that's why I kind of did all my tour. And like, it was a weird moment because I'd never done this before. I'd never really like, outed myself as a mermaid <laughs> man. Um, which was harder. Yeah, like, coming out that closet, <laughs> telling my husband, by the way, Dan, I'm really into mermaids. <laughs> like, um, I hope you can accept my lifestyle. And thank you yeah, for not judging me. Tell me who I am. Yeah. Um, and, <laughs> but like standing up in like possibly one of the most famous the biggest museums in the uk uh and standing in front of an academic audience and talking about m- mermaids and gays and then yes. no one being like that's stupid people going that's really interesting yeah. that's re-. like actually coming up and asking me questions i was like this is a thing yes this is not just me having a brain fart this is this is actually a thing and so for the past i'd say two years i've kind of just used a bit both kind of explored the the history of mermaids more and more and found more and more stories but i've also used mermaids as a way to connect between queer culture and you know straight culture Mm -hmm. and and young people Mm -hmm. um we often, as queer people, particularly trans people, you know, I'm lucky I'm a cisgendered white gay man, I'm pretty bloody privileged, but for a lot of us who are non-conforming, who, you know, we stand out on, on the tube, on the London Underground, we're seen as kind of monstrous. Mm-hmm. So to kind of flex that out from being monstrous to being mermaids and to use mermaids, something that most people grew up watching that film, mm-hmm. to talk about transgender kids, yeah. to explain why it's it's valid to be however you are is it's been really nice i've been using mermaids as a vehicle as well to have those conversations yeah um that's amazing there's an interview that i did that will come out after this with um a academic about the mermaids in the uh latin america and the caribbean and we, we talked a lot about like ideas of monsters and um and where that mythology or that idea comes from um so i love what you're saying that like people who in society feel a little bit monstrous and there's a history too of, of mermaids i'd love to hear more about this from you of mermaids and what they mean at different times and who what they mean to different people um oh yeah so i love that you found all of these these connections between the queer community and the mythology of mermaids so this tour that you give is this the i just want to know what's the tour that you give when you have the cool blue beard like that's what i need to know <laughs> <laughs> There's a number of different ones. Okay. Um, so that, the, the the original Cool Blue Beard thing started uh, as a march um, for London Pride, okay. uh, where I was marching as as a group for museums, and I was like, I'm going to dress up as a mermaid again. Yeah. This was still when I was sort of like, ah, I'm a bit uncomfortable with this, <laughs> yeah. but fine. Um, got some good feedback, so I then was asked to do uh, a whole tour for the National Gallery, um, which is a beautiful gallery of kind of. Um, beautiful artworks in london central london and it was aimed at children and so i again i was thinking mermaids right let's do this so i i came in blue hair blue beard um my merman t-shirt that i had and a harpoon (laughs) (laughs) and we did a tour of with kids and there were about you know 30 kids in each tour um of all the paintings that have mermaids in them and i just told them some stories um, that weren't just the Hans Christian Hansen one. So one of the stories I told was about what I call one of the oldest mermaids. Um, so in the Western t- tradition, one of the oldest kind of mermaids that looks like a mermaid is called Atargatis, and she was a Syrian uh, deity. Mm-hmm. And she has this kind of split tail in a yeah. lot of them, so a bit like the um, Starbucks logo. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, 
she had a whole priesthood, or should I say priestesshood, of um, priests, priestesses who were born in the sign male at birth and then transitioned to basically be mermaid priests. Wow! Yes! Full makeup, long hair, beautiful scales. Uh To reach them in their temple, you had to swim through a lake of goldfish because it was like underwater and then you had to come up into the pedestal. And she was she was a bloody goddess, and um, and again, so I was just kind of those kind of stories, and I yeah. told them in a way that was appropriate and accessible for, you know, seven eight year olds. Right. Um, but I just wanted them to get a sense that, yeah, you know what? There's loads of people on this planet, and we've all been telling stories, and you've probably only been hearing a few of them. So here's some more. Here's right. some more for your mermaid monster. Right. So. so that's, that's it. I love that. So what other like twists on mermaids can you can you tell us? I mean. I, I don't think that people know any of this, really. Yeah, um, so as a, another random example. Yeah. Uh, a couple of days ago, I did another tour of Bidlington. Great. Uh, and that one was called Mermaids and Police Raids. Um, and that was looking at, like, yeah, I know, uh, looking at the like, old gay bars that had been closed down um, back in the 30s and 40s and 50s of London. Oh, okay. But also with some mermaids thrown in and uh, so in Trafalgar Square so if you ever go to London you will probably pass through Trafalgar Square at some point it's a massive fountain with a merma- merman on one side and a mermaid on the other and the merman is modelled after a uh, young bodybuilder from the 20s called Tony Aserati and Tony was a gay man um, and he was painted by artists such as Duncan Grant and he ended up being the model for perhaps the most famous mermaid in the whole of London okay so it's like again, like the the number of tangents and stories you pick an element of the queer community, uh-huh. and there's a story there, yeah, that connects us to mermaids. Yeah. So, what do you think? I'm just thinking back to the Little Mermaid itself, and this idea of like a heartbroken Hans Christian Andersen writing this story, and then it becoming later in different adaptions, like another another emblem for like mo- modern queer. I mean, everyone relates to Little Mermaid, but like for modern queerness. Um, but I'm also wondering, so one version that I've heard is that the the very, very like epilogue of The Little Mermaid has this weird thing where it's like, oh, wait, there's one more chance she becomes like a daughter of the air or something. And like if Victorian children like mind their manners and eat their vegetables, <laughs> then like eventually she'll earn enough points to be, have a soul or something. Like it's this really weird um, it's tacked very on. Like, yeah. Maybe. Yeah. If you look. Yeah, it yeah. feels like an editor was like, mm, we have to have this have, like, a little bit more, <laughs> like, yeah. a meaning. Um, do you have any thoughts on The Little Mermaid about the sisters? Um, because in the Hans Christian Andersen version, they, they, that last minute they come up with, like, a knife, and they're like, no, look, if you kill him, we can still save you. We cut off all our hair to yeah. um, get this knife for you. And then she's like, sorry, sisters. <laughs> Like sacrifices yeah. herself still. Peace out. I, yeah. Matt over sisterhood. <laughs> right. Uh, yeah, I, I don't know. I think it's. Uh, I'm imagining that maybe that has something to do with peer pressure. Yeah. That all kind of you know Hans Christiansen relationship with family. Yeah. Um, I, I, I mean I think that Hans was a very dark man. Mm-hmm. Like if you read like the little match girl, yeah. like he, he he was a very tortured soul. Yeah. He he hated himself. Yeah. Um if you wrote, read his writings he he characterizes himself as totally hideous and unlovable. Yeah. yeah. Um that's that's in his diaries. So I think there's a lot of darkness in everything that he writes. Yeah. Um 
If I can make a sort of a weird tangent, I mean, I've been watching a lot of RuPaul's Drag Race. Great. Um, no, keep going, please. Yeah. <laughs> it's, 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 it's flawed. There's there's a whole other conversation, yeah. but I've been watching the UK version for that. Yeah. And uh, there's something incredible about the queer community in the way that we take pain, mm-hmm. we take suffering, we take a scream of anguish and we set it to music and make mm-hmm. it like a catchy beat. Mm-hmm. Or we turn our sorrow and the time that we're mulling over something difficult and whilst we're doing it, we make a costume or we paint a painting. Yeah. We're a remarkably creative community. Yeah. But all of our creativity, whether it's drag, whether it's a spectacle, a film, a song, mm-hmm. there is always a kernel of, of pain in there Mm -hmm. that i think makes it so powerful Mm -hmm. so the reason i think hans christian hansen's stories have stood the test of time Mm -hmm. is partly down to him being a slightly tortured soul yeah um and and being a bit dark they're not just happy 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 vapid stories yeah it's a bit twisted yeah um also just briefly there i mean a lot of original folklore and fairy tales that we that have been a little sanitized or whatever in a modern telling they're like the Grimm's ones are also all really really dark as well so like like human storytelling is i think has origins of like pain and torture and uh, the unknown and and darkness so that seems like normal but in this case of the Little Mermaid, I'm just making a connection here that you know, in in literature, there is often I think what people call the tragic queer, and it'll be it's just like if there's a queer person in the story, then they have to die, um, which is not cool. Um, <laughs> right? Yeah. And so then I'm thinking of the, this connection to the Disney adaptation and this idea of Howard Ashman and and like the that and Ariel and Little Mermaid getting a happy ending and having, um, you know, a, a fairy tale ending and a resolution and and acceptance by um, the father figure by the community, you know, like arching the rainbow after it and like you know over time so i think one thing that i like about mermaid stories and i'm hearing this from you too is that they evolve over time but 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 like each generation can contribute something to it so like you're you're seeing this mermaid painting in a museum and other people have been like oh yes it's you know a famous painting and then you're like but it also means this (laughs) you know like that we can each contribute something to the original folklore um and bring a different thing of it out there's there's like the power of the author or the artist's mm-hmm. voice, like mm-hmm. who they were, were and what they put into the work. Mm-hmm. And then there is like the time and the culture that they wrote it and what mm-hmm. that contributes to the work. But there's also just you looking at it. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I can go into, and I often do, I'll go and look in a, a, a random painting, non-mermaid themed, and it will be like some hunky knight or something yeah. posing and flexing and i know almost certainly probably the artist wasn't queer uh-huh. and he wasn't painting it for someone like me uh-huh. to come wandering and be like oh he's hot um <laughs> but i get that anyway yeah so i still i still have an ownership of it so there's a kind of thing that it's not i'm not saying that queer people we own mermaids mm-hmm. it's ours mm-hmm. it's more that we are part of that story mm-hmm. and there's something about whoever creates those stories mm-hmm. and whatever intentions they had they resonate with us mm-hmm. yeah. if you go to any gay pride parade you will see mermaid hair yeah. mermaid fish scales seashells all of that it, it's just a trope mm-hmm. and what i wanted to understand is why mm-hmm. why why is it a trope and partly because queer people have created the mermaid myths that we tell and love yeah. and partly because there's something about them that is just really, really 
I don't know, visceral mm-hmm. for, for queer people. Mm-hmm. Can you talk a little bit more about that? Like, what parts are visceral? So for me, it's like, uh, so I, I, I've been lucky enough to work with a transgender youth group um, called Mermaids UK. We had them on the uh, podcast two episodes hey, ago. Awesome. <laughs> yeah. They're, they're yeah. awesome. And they yeah. produced a bust uh, for the Maritime Museum uh, with an artist called Eve Shepherd. Uh, it's a bronze bust and it's it's beautiful and slightly influenced by mermaid folklore. And um, I had a lot of chats with some of their parents and kind of understanding my own gender identity as well, um, that Mermaids are also one of the first time that children come across the semi-nude male form, or male or female form, like oh, the human body. Yeah. Uh-huh. Because mermaids are kind of generally in, in the ones that they're exposed to as kids, they're, they're innocent, you know, the little mermaid, there's nothing directly sexual there. Yeah. Um, so that you get the doll you get the film mm-hmm. so it's the first time you start to look at what does the human body look like mm-hmm. because you see it uncovered i mean yeah. maybe there's like a couple of seashells yeah but it's it's pretty out there yeah so it's a way that I, I think a lot of people that are either struggling with their gender identity mm-hmm. or trying to understand how they feel about people of the same or opposite sex mm-hmm. are actually being confronted with that at quite a young age and, mm-hmm. and making these kind of understandings of i want to look like that mm-hmm. or I find that really interesting mm-hmm. or is that what I look like? Mm-hmm. Though those kind of things. But it's in a really safe way mm-hmm. whereby because they all have a fishtail, yeah. There's no you're not talking about genitalia. Uh-huh. That's irrelevant. Yeah. So for, for the trans community, the thing I've been hearing about mermaids is they are these empowered beings mm-hmm. that you know, Ariel is a woman because she says she's a woman. Right. Not because, you know, anything going on underneath her fishtail. That's right. irrelevant right. for a okay. woman. Yeah. Um, so yeah, there's something about mermaids as a symbol there that I find compelling. It was you know when you were when I was watching like the slightly hunky merman in uh, Disney's adaptation. I'm sure there was a little like eight year old part was like <laughs> I don't know. I could I don't know. We'll see how that plays out <laughs> yeah. in like ten years time. Yeah. But like you know you're starting to be exposed to it. And whereas other examples of that, I think your mum and dad would quickly shut that down. You know, yeah, like, yeah. oh, you shouldn't be looking at that, or that's that's not for your age. But mermaids, you can start to play, you can play with them in the bath. Yeah. You can have these little, like, gender discoveries yeah. um, just, just in them as, as beings. Yeah. So it's like there's an emotional connection to uh, something that is, like, outside of maybe a straight, quote-unquote, straight world. And then there is also a physical connection as well. And it's a way to, like, explore that in like a very safe realm of like fantasy and identity yes it's very safe it's safe even though it's tackling issues that can you know in your later life become very complex and not so safe right that's wonderful um so you said you're a mermaid hunter and i know we mean that in like a benevolent manner mermaid finder i yes yeah. i i agree with i also identify as a mermaid finder but i i the word i sometimes sometimes i say seeker but then i'm like not really sure but i like i'm always on the look you know like where are they um i wanted to know a little bit more about like other mermaids that you have found or or places you found mermaids that you did not expect to find them so yeah this is a good opportunity to talk about sort of mermaids around the world right. um and that, uh, one of the other things other than, than queer yeah. queer mermaids i'm really interested in representations of um mermaids mermaids that aren't white 
basically. Mm. Because if you search mermaid on Google, you you get Ariel and you get Ariel over and over and over again. Yeah. And so I've been like kind of looking and, and talking to people about mermaid stories that are, are not just white and Western. Yeah. So, for example, uh, Mami Wata from mm-hmm. West Africa, kind of uh, water elementals uh, that often are depicted with serpents as well. Yeah. Um, but they have this kind of you, you give them something and then they might give you a wish in response. They're very kind of fickle beings, mm-hmm. um, but they're very powerful elemental spirits. Mm-hmm. And over time, they've taken this mermaid form with like a fishtail form more and more mm-hmm. kind of mismatch, mix, like, like African folklore mixing together with, with Western images of mermaids and just finding that every single culture pretty much seems to have a depiction like a mermaid Mm -hmm. i I love aboriginal mermaids um so in australian culture uh like the york york uh is like an evil vindictive mermaid and they have like sharp teeth and they're really frightening yeah Yeah, so they're not quite stink yeah and they eat yeah so every time every society that has come across water even if it's like a lake, has created mermaids in some yeah. form. So that's something I've, I've definitely been like, I, I'm always hunting for mermaid stories away from the Western world. Mm-hmm. Uh, I find that really exciting. Yeah. Um, and, and that leads on quite nicely to the whole palaver around the kind of, you know, the new Disney film yeah. and the fact they have cast, you know, a woman of colour mm-hmm. in the role of Ariel. Yeah. And that there has been some backlash mm-hmm. against this. Yeah. Uh, which I'm really upfront and just say it's racist. Correct. <laughs> like um, cis I believe that, that is is racism and nothing else. That is also the position of the Mermaid Podcast. <laughs> that like we're very happy with the casting of Halle Bailey and like anything else is just a racist. Yep. <laughs> Yeah, because um, th- th- this is one of the things I've, I've been looking so much at non-white depictions of mermaids mm-hmm. that for someone to say mermaids are white mm-hmm. or even Hans Christian Andersen's depiction of mermaids is white is to not understand the way stories work, mm-hmm. um, that we have borrowed from all these traditions. You know, the Little Mermaid Disney film is set in the Caribbean. You yeah. wouldn't think that by the skin tone of any yeah. of the characters and right. the you know, incredibly racist accent of yeah. <laughs> Sebastian. Yeah. But it's, it's a tropical world. Yeah. So if you're thinking about where it's set, where those stories would be coming from, well, those people telling those stories wouldn't be white. Yeah. Um, and when she's singing, you know, who's it and what's it a plenty, and she's got this whole horde of stuff. Yeah. That's just Amiwata. Yeah. That's collecting things. Yeah. Uh, and that is very, very much not a white mermaid story. So... Of course, Ariel can be black. Ariel could be any bloody colour in the world because yeah. mermaids are not owned by any race. Yeah. Um, we have this sense of such privilege mm. that we believe that's what it looks like because yeah. we've seen one film. Yep. No, I I think that's a wonderful point. That like, there's one film that uh, the people think is like the definitive depiction of mermaids, and actually, it's drawing from so many things. I mean, Triton is a Greek mythological character. When you go to Eric's castle, it's like, is this a Mediterranean? Are you in Portugal? Like, where are you? <laughs> you know. Like, um, and it's drawing from so many different underwater mythologies. Uh, and it's also the understanding that like the the skin tone of mm-hmm. Ariel mm-hmm. is entirely irrelevant yeah. to her character. Yes. So, yeah. it, you know, it's not like anything of the story mm-hmm. is being changed, altered, watered down, right. or reduced because right. it is irrelevant. Yeah. I, when I've had these discussions online, I often have it thrown back at me, like, mm-hmm. "Well, what if Mulan was cast as a yeah. white actress?" And I was like, "That's the story. The story is about yeah. where she comes from. Right. It is." 
about her tradition. Yeah. So in that sense, her race, her identity and her culture are intrinsic to yeah. the telling of the story. Yeah. The Little Mermaid, a hybrid mermaid story, yeah. it, she can come from anywhere. Yeah. Also, if you're a Disney purist, Halle Bailey's facial expressions look animated, so I'm just like... <laughs> it, like she's, you know, yeah. look beyond freaking skin <laughs> yeah. She's airy. It works. Yeah. <laughs> Perfectly works. Um, yeah, but yes, agreed. I, I also think... Uh, I'm excited for that version, mainly because, like, you know, it's been... So I think it's this week is the 30th anniversary of the of the original film or we're close to it I think or of the DVD something like that um so it's like obviously time for like another version to come yeah. out and for like something to be added to makes me feel so old <laughs> yeah, I know I know <laughs> so right so I think it's time for there to be like something else but um that made me also actually want to ask you what do you think you, you study the history of mermaids in folklore and in art, and you can take people around a museum and show them what it has meant and what the connections are to now. But what do you think is, like, the message of the mermaid for now for the, and going into the future? Like, what do you think that, what do you think, what do you think they add to the conversation, and what do you think we can draw from, from how they appear to us now? So I, I think mermaids are a wonderful symbol of mm -hmm. how being different mm -hmm. is is beautiful mm -hmm. and great. Mm -hmm. And I also want to throw in the whole thing that mermaids, like I mentioned, the Aboriginal ones, they can be pretty scary. Yeah. They eat sailors. Their yeah. songs hurt people. You know, they're, they're not just nice, pretty, pretty, pretty. There's a lot of mermaid stories where they are the bad guys. Yeah. So there's also a sense of power there. Like, and, and if I were going to be honest, as a queer person, I think they're a great symbol because it's like, we're different. Mm -hmm. That's what makes us awesome. Yeah. Uh, sometimes we can blend in with you, but, you know, we, we may not be part of your world. Yeah. But also, don't mess with us. Yeah. We have a dark side. Yeah. And, you know, we have powers that you don't quite understand. Yeah. So... We may seem lovely and fabulous in our skin-tight pink tank tops on, you know, in a gay bar. But, like, if you diss one of our side yeah. in front of us, yeah. then you'll realize that we, you know, we're, we're pretty, we can be pretty dangerous. Yeah. Um, so yeah. I find them a really empowering symbol. Yeah. Um, I know that, you know, some feminists I've spoken to see them as like a really, um, you know, as a really negative symbol. Because in The Little Mermaid, it's a classic version uh -huh. of... She sacrifices everything for the man, and uh, she gives up her voice. I mean, mm. it's pretty, pretty uh, significant. Right. Um, so it just depends how you take it and which elements of that myth you want to pull from. Right. Um, but for me, walking around in my blue beard and blue hair, yeah. like nothing makes me more feel more visibly and confidently queer than when I'm at my merman best. Yeah. So, so that's. Everyone needs a bit of merman. No, I, I love or, or just a mer. <laughs> you want to just go mer, mer person. person. Um, I love that. I also think that's interesting what you were saying too about what different people draw from the Little Mermaid tale because I've also in what I've researched and what I've talked to people about uh, as far as like a depiction of women, mermaids have constantly flip flop in that. That like sometimes there it's like oh a celebration of like femininity and female power, and then the next minute that same mermaid image will be used to be like a Jezebel of sin and lust and greed, yeah. you know, it's so like, uh, oh, yeah. depending on who's talking about it, I think. It's a bit like the word, um, so the word queer that was originally used as an insult mm -hmm. and thrown at 
my community and, and something which I now take ownership of right. and I see as quite a positive identity. Right. Uh, the mermaid, like, you know, if you look at the research, if you look at the way it was used by, by male sailors, mm -hmm. it's basically an excuse to have pornography or a pin-up of a woman. Yeah. So, you know, you can have a, a really sexy topless mermaid yeah. uh, to lust over yeah. and it's a symbol of the way that men ob objectify women mm -hmm. it's uh, a symbol of how men are scared of women mm -hmm. because they can lure you with their charms Ooh. and kill you, you know, all of, yeah, exactly <laughs> yeah. so it's very negative stuff there um so yes for some people that's an, it's an important thing to unpack and explore mm -hmm. but you, i guess you can also flip some of that and say like uh, yeah, you know, mess with me, I'll eat you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or you can you can take some power from that by saying, um, I've got a T-shirt that I love uh -huh. that's got like this really hunky merman pinup, and uh -huh. um, it really freaks straight men out. Like I've seen people on the tube do like a double take because they've never seen the male form uh -huh. objectified in the way we objectify the female oh, form. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. Right? Yeah. And it's done in it's like 1950s, like it's almost like a sailor tattoo, mm -hmm. except it's a man rather than a woman. Yeah. And it's that kind of thing, like, just reflect on that. Uh -huh. How do you look at women? How do you portray women uh -huh. compared to how you think you be, should, should be portrayed? Right. Um, I love that's also so I write I write romance novels and I write a lot of mermaid romance and I think one of the things one of the reasons why romance novels are have been kind of denigrated is that a lot of the covers especially the early covers feature very hunky men on them and like men are not used to seeing themselves objectified and they're not used to thinking of like uh, women with like sexual agency and and which is also like the threat of the mermaid as well so yeah I I agree with that as well. Yeah, and, and going back to there is a really strong, as you said, body positivity yeah. movement. There's, I can't remember where it is. There's a place in America with a group of gay men who have created their own calendar. Um, and it's a merman. Oh, is, I, the, is it the Canadian one, the Murbies? The Murbies. Yeah, they're the Canadian. The Canadian, yeah. We had, also had them on the podcast. So, yeah. Oh, yeah. really? Yeah, uh -huh. they're wonderful. Actually, because the, the, the man who started it, he was happened to be in New York the when that when the story broke and so i managed to find him and he came over and we wore our mermaid tails and had an interview and it was like oh. and and he's amazing um that their his whole thing is that like you know he's trying to combat toxic masculinity with this idea of like anything can be masculine or manly or that there's like a spectrum for it yeah i love them yeah they're, they're gorgeous mate i have yeah. mass, massive crush yeah um like they have all body types mm -hmm. they are they you know so it, again it is that thing of and here's the thing about you know like the whole merman thing is it's like it it, it allows you to be sexy in yeah. this playful way that i hope and i believe everyone is invited mm -hmm. um so like i have a blue beard yeah. like i know i look stupid like yeah. I'm, I'm very aware of that but i feel great well so i think you look great because when i saw that photo i was like that is very handsome <laughs> <laughs> I, mean, okay. I also have every Murby calendar, so I'm like primed to, to like. <laughs> I think it's more about that sort yeah. of the confidence that people embody yeah. when they do it. Um, and like I, I've, you know, when I, I brief phase I used Instagram, sadly not for me, have uh -huh. since jettisoned. Uh -huh. um, but I was followed by quite a few, uh, g particularly gay guys who who do the whole merman thing. Uh -huh. So they kind of swim around in merman tails, yeah. and they were such lovely blokes. Like they were, um, again, all 
all kind of backgrounds a filipino guy japanese dude californian dude um and and they weren't like just gym fit stereotypical bods but they were so in their element and they were so happy now that's not for me like i i don't want to live my life in a mermaid tale i don't want to you know that's that's not what i mean when i say i'm obsessed with mermaids Mm. i don't want to be one yeah but there's something about them as a symbol um that i find really inspiring um yeah and i think i think everyone is invited to that party which is why i got so angry Mm -hmm. with the minority of people that were kicking off about the the casting of ariel because it was like no 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 you do not get to say who comes into this club the reason i love mermaids is because it's all inclusive yeah right we can everyone can be a part of the mermaid world (laughs) yeah 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 Yeah. Uh, no, but I I agree with you, and I love that. I'm also I think to bring it again back to Little Mermaid, um, the song "Under the Sea," you know, is like a joyous, wonderful number, which is like, of course, it's like everything's better down where it's wetter. Like it's where you get to be fabulous and colorful and wonderful. Everything is great. It also one of the one of the thing my, one of my theories is that. Um, and I'm sure somebody else thought of this as well. There's like medieval scholars who know more than I do. But I think that I believe that the ocean is a metaphor for the subconscious and that the sea is a mirror. So everything that we are curious about ourselves and where we fit in and our identities and who we are and what like what it means to be, you know, ourselves is what we kind of project into the water. Like if there's a there's a topsy turvy mirror world and you know, if we are curious about our place in the world if we want to have more autonomy or independence if we want to like risk everything for love or for our desires like we can project all of that back into the water and into the figure of this like mermaid who can do it for us in the realm of fantasy when we can't if we can't quite do it ourselves yet that's i love that and i think that's really valid so when i was working at the maritime museum the understanding of the Mm -hmm. sea is exactly what you said for 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 millennia Mm -hmm. the sea was like space so the way we now look at space and we look up and go well we can go as far as the moon Mm -hmm. and one day we might go as far as like you know we might be able to land and walk around on mars imagine if we could go even further what could be out there yeah um that's how the sea was we'd look across the sea and be like you know what's across that look at those maps the here be dragons right in there we we Um, don't know what's here so so let's draw a monster (laughs) and and really inaccurate depictions of other people we had the craziest ideas because we didn't know and so nowadays we use space we do like star trek Mm -hmm. and we do we have this wish fulfillment where we go what would a perfect world in space in the future be like how could these aliens live let's do avatar you know we're starting to use that trope yeah that was what c was yeah so you could, you know, the strangest, craziest idea, you could put it in the sea because maybe it's there. Maybe yeah. maybe that's where it is. Yeah. Um, really cool stuff. There's there's some really um, interesting um, sort of Afrofuturism that's been mm-hmm. done on this topic. So there's a, uh, a set of songs um, and there's a podcast part of um, This American Life that covers it uh, about uh, the during the transatlantic slave trade mm-hmm. um, that kind of black babies and pregnant women were thrown overboard yeah so they created this um this kind of sci-fi narrative of what if those people survived and they started their own world under the sea 
and then like wrought revenge on the world above like decolonize the world so you have this futurist kind of black positive post-colonial mermaid kind of fantasy set under the sea um there's a book coming out about that as well it's called the deep by river solomon and it's it's the same story yeah 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 yeah. it must be what i'm talking about i in this podcast there's a song that they sing about it and i was like it was really kind of cool and futuristic and powerful that i think that the author heard that song and then wrote the novel yeah yeah it's not out yet but it's coming it's i think it's out or maybe it is anyway it's coming yeah but i think it's really normal for for all of us like whatever so you know white dude but gay dude i look at the sea and go what if queer positive magic you know i think some women will look at the sea and what if amazing hunky murdered who actually listened to me and cared, <laughs> cared about me and respected me as a woman uh you know we all look at it from our own perspective and go what if there was what if under the sea there was yeah. um yeah so I, I think you're totally right it's a mirror to our own desires yeah and this just to kind of wrap it all up the positive thing that i take from like you know things change people evolve cultures evolve is that um, I think fantasy plays a big part for people in, in how they work out ideas about themselves, and it can also be a, a vehicle for um, self-acceptance and positive change. So what you're talking about now, it, it thrills me because I think of, like, the, uh, you know, a, the painful, tragic character of heartbroken Hans Christian Andersen writing this mermaid who feels, like, can't cry, because you can't cry over, like, a lost gay relationship, can you? Like, no, you can't do that, and in his time but so the mermaid feels all this pain and then sacrifices herself like with unrequited you know for an unrequited love right to transform to having a a gay man craft the character to be accepted with like rainbows and positivity by their community and to have the happy ending they always wish for and then for us now to be like what is what is the new what are the new ideas we have for ourselves about mermaids? Which are also the same the old ideas because there's how, like, all of these mythological characters are so old but we can, you know, in the common consciousness we can we can now be like, what else is there to say and what other voices are included in, in this and, like, what can, um, you know, where can we make room for all of these stories? Mm-hmm. I think that's, yeah. that's so exciting it's to exciting. me. It's Yeah. Yeah exciting like i'm looking forward to the film and i'm delighted the casting um i I would love to see i I don't know disney i don't think disney's there yet but i would love to see some some way of honoring the queer roots of the film so I would love to see some queerness in I, there. I would love to see that in an overt way because there's always there's always something where you're like, I know there's somebody snuck that in there, and there's like a nod or a wink, right? But I would love to yeah. see it in like an openly accepted way. And then also, so we were talking about this before the recording, but there is the the live musical where they're that's coming out. At, like you'll probably have when this podcast comes out, people will probably have seen this already. Um, but that it's going to be playing the film with like Queen Latifah as Ursula, you know, and um, Ali Carvalho as um, Ariel. And which there have been so much, there have been all this weird backlash. And then they announced this casting. Everyone was like, we're tired of arguing. It's fine. <laughs> like, they just like, let it go. Um, but I'm excited. To, you know, I'm not sure how that's going to work on TV. Like mechanically we'll see, but I also am just excited to see and like another another way of looking of looking at it and seeing what that is um but yeah good good stories deserve to be told 
over and over again because yeah. the kernel is so you know it's it's there yeah. that you can you can use it to tell any kind of story of any kind of group for any kind of audience it's yeah. like shakespeare you yeah see shakespeare adapted in the 25th century on a spaceship Macbeth, <laughs> right. or you know in friggin feudal japan right the story is so good yeah that it doesn't matter how you tell it yeah um I think that's a wonderful note to end on. So do you want to tell people how to find you? And also, if they want to take your tour, what do they do? <laughs> that's me. a great question. Uh, I'm just talking so, to myself. Uh, pay me. <laughs> pay him. And also, but also, like, tell us where to find you so we can go to your museum and be like, hi. Sure. So, <laughs> I, I um, rabbit far too much on Twitter. Okay. Uh, you can find me at Sasha Downspace Coward. I will spell my name because it's a weird one. Okay. S a c h a downspace c o w a r d. Um, so I search Mermaid Hunter. I'll pop up. Uh, I warn you. I spend far too much time on Twitter, and I get very passionate and angry about things, and I put a lot of garbage up there. So you know, don't don't unblock me straight away. But like, <laughs> there is a good fifty percent mermaids, and the rest is just like a mental diatribe <laughs> in terms of tours and things um i'm always doing stuff so i'm doing some video game theme tours at the yes. british museum okay. i will maybe pop a mermaid in there okay. um in terms of pure mermaid fantasy uh i want to do as much as possible if you keep an eye on my twitter account i'll let you know what i'm doing okay. uh, but there's definitely a couple of things that i can't talk okay. about okay. Just, so but do we have to out. do we have to go to the uk to find you if like i'm just I, there is there are people who will travel for this tour so i want to like so I'm I'm mainly based in the UK okay. and the fact is I'm I'm a freelancer so I will go wherever I'm wanted. Great. Um if I got a chance to do a mermaid tour in the US I will be there. So again buy me a plane Great. ticket and give me a space to queer and okay. I'll do it. Um but yeah at the moment I'm based in the UK but if you want to shoot me like a, a DM yeah. I'm really chatty and I love talking about mermaids so just drop me a message. Okay, wonderful. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for listening. If you liked what you heard, please tell a friend or leave a review. Reviews are really important because they help other mermaid lovers find us. The easiest thing to do is to leave a review right in the app that you are using to listen to this episode or leave a review on our Facebook page. That counts too. You can find us on Facebook and Instagram. We are at Mermaid Podcast, and we always love to see you on social media. Again, we'll have links to all the mermaid news mentioned in this episode on our website, mermaidpodcast.com. Our jingle was Recorded by Tori Scott, the world-famous cabaret singer. She performs internationally, and you can find her at itstoriescott.com. Thank you for listening. Thank you for your reviews and your feedback. And thank you so much to Sasha Coward. You inspire us to never quit our daydream. It's the Mermaid Podcast. We've got mermaids on the land and down below. Legs or fins, you will love our show. All the news that makes a splash is on the Mermaid Podcast. <laughs>